We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 95, Graveyard Masters. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers with me on the line again this week. How are you, sir? I am handsome, David. How are you? I am ready to draft a Masters set for the first time ever. That's a lie. I drafted whatever the one with uh, Dinrova Horror was. That's a shame, because that wasn't the best one ever. That was Modern Masters 3, and I call that Dinrova Horror Ma- Masters. That that card was just too good there uh, for the set to actually be a lot of fun. It was fun to draft like five times, and then after that you're like, oh, it's just how many Dinrova Horrors can I get? Yep. Did I ever tell you the time? Uh, that was the the reason I remember that format so much because because I played against LSV, and it was off stream and I wasn't recording, and uh, and I won that match. Um, so I guess I think that makes me a Pro Tour champion. I'm not sure basically if the transitive, if the transitive property applies there. Um, but I punted hard in like in game three of that match where he had like these creatures that when they left the battlefield they made like a, a zombie or something like that, and I thought it was when they died. They made the zombie, and so I had I had lethal set up. If I had, um, I had cyclonic rift, so I was going to bounce everything, right, and then swing with haste or whatever. The <laughs> you next just turn. gave him a bunch of zombies, and I gave him a bunch of zombies, and I'm like, ooh, hmm. I just punted against LSV, and that's like my favorite and an only memory of that set. Okay. I did, I did win that match, but um, it was uh, it was kind of like a lesson in reading the cards. Yeah. You know, master sets can range from amazing to just okay. I think they're designed as a format that someone would only draft once or twice. So you could go into it and have a fun experience. But as digital magic players, we have the opportunity to play these a lot more than normal. Uh, So you can really dig in and when you get a good one, have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And um, on first glance, this one looks more interesting than um, at least to paper players than a lot of the other masters formats. There's a lot of value in here for paper players, but for us on magic online, it kind of remains to be seen if the, if the draft format is fun enough to do, you know, 10, 15, 20 times uh, in phantom and not, and not break the bank. So I do like um, that. Uh, we do have the opportunity to draft this in phantom. It's not something you can take advantage of in paper. So I think we are kind of at an advantage there if it's a fun set. Mm-hmm. I also like for this one particularly, so we've got the Phantom Draft League that you can do for basically 10 event tickets. You get one back, um, like 10 10 play points back, so one event ticket functionally for zero wins. So it's really like it's nine bucks to play this. You you get your entry fee back at, at two wins. In addition to that, which we're used to, and this is the normal prize structure for Cube, They've got Ultimate Masters Phantom Sealed with the same entry and the same prize structure. So if you want to go play this Sealed, uh, it's 10 event tickets or 100 play points, and then it's the exact same prize structure. 10 points for 0 wins, 40 for 1, 100 for 2, and 150 for 3. I don't know. If they've done this before, I didn't know about it. So I'm actually excited to try that out. I don't think they have on Magic Online with previous Masters sets. At least I don't remember it like fondly enough to remember that it was an option um Mm -hmm. that's super interesting and i wonder if this if this master set is going to be fun as sealed you know it's not something i would want to sealed in paper because of the like the cost like it's going to cost like 60 dollars up here probably for sealed um but like that's interesting and if it's at the same price point that's not something you regularly see in fact i don't think we ever really see phantom sealed on magic online not anymore. It used to be a thing, and it, and it, it was league. It was not league based, so people kind of didn't do it because you'd have to sign up for a queue and do it, and it was kind of awful. Now this may be because there's a paper GP coming up with this set sealed, so they want to give people the opportunity to practice. But I'm hopeful that this will take off, and we'll see more Phantom sealed um, as as we see special sets. Like the Master Series is probably going to go bye bye for a little bit, but that doesn't mean they won't replace it with something else or some other kind of re- reprint set that we could still play with. 
I'd even like yeah. to see Phantom Sealed for flashbacks. Like, I'd love to do Shadow Sealed again. That was fun. Yeah, there's some really good sealed formats, just just like there's some real good draft formats. There's some obviously some stinkers. Um, and making them Phantom, though, um, kind of makes the value proposition like not mean anything on Magic Online, which is really cool because... Um, you know, you think back to like cons flashbacks and you were opening and keeping the cards, but there was just no real value in that set anymore. Um, you couldn't, you couldn't redeem the cards, you know, fetch lands or like one ticket and things like that. So, um, being able to do that phantom, uh, or turn your really cheap packs into, into play points was really the only way to get any kind of positive value out of it. So, um, I'm, I'm kind of on board and, um, and the phantom model is really good, right? The cube model where going 2-1 and you break even, like if you chain a bunch of 2-1s, like I'm the king of 2-1s, just chain a bunch of 2-1s together and play forever, it seems like a really good proposition for for most drafters. So, Yeah, it, it has been for me. I've been playing the Modern Cube. I've only done two of them. I, I won both of them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm okay going 2-1s in those and playing forever. They're fun. They are. Um, now, unfortunately, arena players, this is not something you're going to get and probably not something you're going to get for a very long time, um, which is unfortunate, but, um, you know... I wouldn't say it's a good reason to go over and get an MTGO account and, and spend your, your dollars there. Um, but if it interests you, just keep in mind that, you know, MTGO is not this huge, monstrous boogeyman compared to Arena. Like, once you've learned how to play Magic, um, the jump to MTGO is really not that big of a deal. I would never point people to MTGO to learn how to play Magic. Um, but if you already know and you've had your experience and you're looking for, you know, you're planning on playing this set anyway, maybe in paper with your friends... Um, and you've, you're interested in checking it out, you know, it's probably worth it if you were going to do it anyway, I would say, because you can do it for so much cheaper than you can in paper. Yeah, and I would argue that, for me at least, this is a reason to boot up Magic Online. Like, this is just something that you can't experience otherwise. I look at these master sets primarily as something for the enfranchised player, right? So the new core set comes out, this is to help new players find the game. The master set comes out, this is because you want to do some stupid stuff while you're drafting. Yeah, this is the reward for the the long-time players. Exactly. So what I thought we'd do on this one is kind of go through and, like, we'll do full set reviews when a new card comes out. It's worth mentioning in a master set, there are no new cards. These are all cards that if you've played long enough, you've seen all of them before. They're all reprints. But I did a, a set review today on stream that I thought would take around two or three hours and ended up taking six. So I kind of went really deep on this, read all the cards, talked about them, and thought about this format. And I thought what we might do is go through and just pull out a few cards that help describe an archetype. Most of them, as as we usually do, focused around common and uncommon to kind of get you an idea for the sort of things that will be happening in here. And the first card that I want to discuss is one that I know David is very familiar with. Uh, it's Wingsteed Rider. Oh, one. Tell me, tell me how much you love this. It's my favorite uh, Theros card. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, it's one white-white for a 2-2 human knight with flying. It's a common. And it has heroic, uh, which is a theme in the Naya colors. So you'll see this in white, you'll see this in red, and you'll see this in green. What heroic means is that when you cast a spell that targets this creature, something happens. In the case of Wingsteed Rider, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So this is basically just a hard-to-cast Windrake, right? Uh, yes. And then you start to target it with things. Um, my favorite thing to do, obviously, was, um, not Feet of Resistance, uh, God's Willing. No, God's... God's Willing, which is also in the set. Was, yes, God's Willing on, uh, on any heroic creature, but specifically this one, or the Phalanx Leader, which is also in this set, um, were just one of my favorite things, or my two favorite things to do in this set. Um, once you got one or two targets on the Wingsteed Rider it really put it out of range of a lot of early game removal, like damage-based removal, obviously. And if your opponent didn't deal with it, um, they weren't ever going to block it. Uh, there weren't flyers that were big enough that early in the game, unless they had a Wingsteed Rider of their own. Um, and it's just kind of like a snowball-y thing. Um, it looks like in this set, like, the the spells that target are tuned. And, yeah, they are. And, and they're way more powerful than they would be in Theros. So you do have God's Willing, but you also have travel preparations uh in green which is what is it one and a green at instant one in a green for sorcery, sorcery. Put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures flash it back for one in a white like how is that just not your perfect heroic card um, it is and if it was in theros absolutely insane here it's 
less insane because of you're probably not going to have as many heroic cards but when you do put that combo together it's going to be insane i'm going to draft a lot of wingsteed riders and also phalanx leader which is i'm going to mention it here because it's a, it's a great card here as well but phalanx leader is white white for a one one with heroic put a plus one plus one cre- counter on each creature you control yeah so it's like the wingsteed rider but just huge it starts out a little worse like you obviously wouldn't play a hard to cast one one but once you've targeted it once you've got your value on your team so yeah. Like I said, the, the heroic cards of the ones that I reviewed, the the white ones were obviously the best one. That's why we're kind of going to mention them here, and I'm not going to mention the ones in the other colors. They're all playable, and as soon as you can target with them with anything, you're good to go. Dave has mentioned travel preparations, a green card, which is very good. I was just going to mention conviction as like a simple, easy to put together combo for your heroic creatures. Uh, this is one in a white for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus three. You can spend a white to return the uh, enchantment to its its owner's hand. So you can just cast this on your Wingsteed Rider. All of a sudden you've got, you know, a four million flyer and then every turn just bounce it and recast it for as much mana as you have. Um, it, it, this also circumvents some of the aura problem and that if, if you have the mana up, you can just bounce the aura if they kill your dude. Yeah. The, the, the only way they can really get rid of this um, aside of, you know, when your shields are down, when you're tapped out is to get the creature in response. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I find it neat, and this is something we can talk about a little bit later when we talk about the auras, but um, normally auras are inherently dangerous, right? You're at risk of getting two-for-one'd. Um, with Conviction and also the totem armors that'll come up here, um, it's interesting that the auras are protected and they're a little less risky. So it's not quite Theros level where your auras were creatures, but it's certainly not like M19 or Guilds of Ravnica where there's just no two-for-one protection at all. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got that. And we'll talk about some of those totem armor enchantments as we get to other colors, because I don't think the white ones are really marquee. Uh, There's two more white cards I wanted to mention uh, as we're going through here. One is just one of the better removal spells that we've seen uh, in in white's history, which is Faith's Fetters. Now, it's worth remembering, like, we've seen pacifism-style effects, and we call it a pacifism effect because of the card pacifism, which was one in a white enchanted creature can't attack or block. These days, we're used to getting that for round three mana, this is an upgraded version, but it costs four. It's three and a right for an aura. Enchant permanent. When face fetters enters the battlefield, you gain four life. Enchanted permanent can't attack or block. Its activated abilities can't be acted activated unless they're mana abilities. So if your opponent is killing you with a creature land, you can actually take care of that with face fetters. If you want to nab a Planeswalker, you can do that. You can't stop a Mana Rock, and you can't stop a Lana War Elf-type card from making mana, but you can stop activated abilities on creatures. It's it's worth noting there's not a whole lot of them in here, but there are some. Mm-hmm. Um, going along with the, the Aura theme, I'm not going to name the card specifically, but there are ways to tutor up Auras, and there are ways to get Auras back from your graveyard. So it's a nice little package here. Um, most of them seem to be at common, and there's obviously a lot of good auras, you know, not just face fetters, but also other things you can get. So there's definitely an aura sub-theme here that you can take advantage of pretty easily, I would say. Now, whether it's worth putting these cards in your deck to enable your auras, or you're just going to play the auras because they're good, you kind of have those options. It'll be interesting to see how this deck plays out. Agree. And then the last white card I wanted to mention to kind of get us into an archetype is Resurrection. Uh, two white white for a sorcery return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So this is a reanimator spell in white, which we don't often see. There's one at uncommon that actually does this at instant speed. Of note, resurrection is only your graveyard, so you're only reanimating your own stuff. This doesn't usually go in the same deck with Wingsteed Rider, uh, because like casting this on turn four, you're not going to have something good enough to get out. You need to build around it. There's a lot of three-mana cards that that we'll see as we go through here, Uh, one of them colorless, that allows you to discard creature cards. So there is a reanimation deck. It can stretch across white and black. It could be white and black, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. So I I think that's another archetype that we're seeing here. And there's some some controlly cards and some removally cards that you can put into that deck as well. But I I think Resurrection is not something you're putting in your white deck for value. It's something you're building a deck around. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to the other colors here as well, but also there's uh, a burial rights in black, which has white for flashback. So it's interesting. Normally you see a reanimator theme not touch white, 
in in formats um like cube and things like that usually it's black like strict black or black blue or whatever right mm-hmm. um so so i find it interesting that it's in the white color pie in this set that's not something that i've experienced as much outside of a card like umbrella rights yeah and it, it it doesn't seem like you're really doing fast cheaty reanimator outside of rare cards it looks like you're doing like discard something on turn three reanimated on around turn four is kind of what you're looking to do with your reanimation uh, so it's not like we're going to turn two Gristlebrand you. It's more like we're going to turn four Ulamog's Crusher you. Uh, seems to be what's going on here. Uh, there were some key cards that I saw as I was going through blue as well that I think are certainly worth mentioning. And there's a lot of good stuff here. Uh, but a big one that got me excited was Deranged Assistant. Uh, this doesn't look like a card that would get many people excited unless you played original Innistrad. Uh, it's one in a blue for a 1-1 one, one human wizard. Tap. Put the top card of your library into your graveyard. Add colorless mana. It also includes the flavor text. Garl, quit crying and give me your brain tissue. <laughs> Is that the best flavor text in the set? I think it's it's definitely in the running. Okay, we might have to do a, a flavor flavor text power rankings. Um, so it's interesting when I was looking through the set uh, in prep. You know, for this for this podcast. So I hadn't really paid attention to a lot of the UMA spoilers. And we got our spoiler card, so I did a little bit of looking. But at that time, the cards hadn't really been released. There was like the fire hose had turned on, but it was just a trickle at that time. Yeah, and I didn't really come back to the full spoiler. And the but the first thing that I noticed when I came back to it is like there's not really much for elves in green, and there's a couple of ramp cards. But in a master set, you know, maybe I'm thinking more like a cube, but. I expected it to be maybe a little bit more. And then I looked at the colorless cards and there's like Eldrazi, like you said, like Ulamog's Crusher and things like that. And I'm like, well, how am I going to ramp to this stuff? Never did I think to look at blue. I've scrolled through blue. I didn't really see Deranged Assistant. I, you know, I'm not looking for ramp cards in blue. It's interesting because it does two things, right? It's you're fueling your, your delve or your graveyard shenanigans. Or your flashback. Also, or your flashback. And you're also ramping. So like this goes in blue green or colorless, I guess. Um, but it also kind of goes in like blue black or blue red. It it kind of or just blue goes white for reanimator. It does everything. This is just a solid card that every blue deck wants because like flashback is a big mechanic here. Reanimation is a big mechanic here. There's several cards that care about having lots of spells or creatures in your graveyard, and this helps you do both. So like this card's kind of nuts. Yeah, I definitely slept on it when I scrolled past it, but now you've got me interested. Let me introduce you to some more blue ramp in the name of Dreamscape Artist. Uh, One in a blue for a 1-1. This one's an uncommon. You can spend two in a blue, discard a card, sacrifice a land, search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. You can do this as often as you want. Why would I want to discard cards? There's a mechanic in this set called Madness, and Madness lets you play a card, usually for a reduced cost when you discard it. So you basically get to cast the spell Harrow, uh, sacrifice a land, put two into play for for essentially free if you have Madness cards, or you can just turn any card in your hand that you don't need into a land for the cost of playing a two mana one one. Uh, this don't sleep on this. This is actual ramp in blue. Uh, it, it comes at a bit of a cost, but again, you may not mind discarding your reanimation target to get the lands you need to have the double white to reanimate it or discarding a Madness card later and bouncing your opponent's creature for one mana while you're fixing your mana. Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, we always talk about, well, they don't always talk about, but, you know, there's there's the idea that, like, thinning your deck of lands slightly improves your draws, too. Like, early game it has utility, late game it has utility, because you're not, like, it's such a, it's it's an expensive mana cost here, so you're not, like, tuna blue and then discard, like, a, a four casting cost Madness spell, like, yeah. quite frequently. Um, but the fact that you can ramp to get there and then also late game, you know, drawing a card out of your deck essentially for a useless card out of your hand, um, you know, can be value. And, and you know, there's um, flashback cards you can discard. There's creature cards you can discard to reanimator. There's all sorts of good stuff here. So kind of utility at all steps of the game as long as you have three mana and a card to discard. Correct. Another fun one we have is Rise from the Tides. Uh, I've pulled this off in limited. I even built a standard deck around it when it was legal. Five and a blue for a sorcery. Create a tapped 2-2 blue-black... Excuse me. A tapped 2-2 black zombie creature for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. So you can cast them. 
you can mill them. Uh, there's a lot of self-mill going on here. And by that, I mean a lot of cards that, that force you to put cards from your library into your graveyard. So with this, you can just play a bunch of spells, kind of dig for this, maybe have a few blockers, and then make an army of, you know, 10 zombies to kill your opponent with. Mm-hmm. This is a card that I really like to have in multiples, obviously, because if you're self-milling yourself, you know, you run the risk of your only win con going to the graveyard. Um, but having multiples kind of protects you against that. I remember having two in a deck, and this was Khan's block. It was like Fate Reforged, right, if I remember correctly? Uh, was it Fate Reforged? No, no. It this was, was Shadows um, over Innistrad, dude. Shadows over Innistrad, right. It was the same standard era, right? Yeah. Um, I remember having two, and uh, you know, being able to cast at least one in a game was, was usually very good if you were dedicated to it. So... Um, I would be aware of making sure that you have either ways to get this back from the graveyard if you're heavy on the mill um, or having other win conditions that you don't have to win with this card only. Yeah, there's a couple other spells matters win conditions. So it's not that you have to have two copies of this. It's that you need to have a few win conditions in that deck. A way to get this out of the graveyard if you mill it certainly counts as one of those. Uh, Some other way to deal damage or finish your opponent off can as well. Uh, while we're talking about spells, this this is kind of a really annoying one, uh, but it's it's worth knowing that it's here because people are going to play it against you, is Rune Snag. One in the blue for an instant counter-target spell unless its controller plays two, plus an additional two for each card named Rune Snag in your graveyard. If it, This is actually a reasonable counter spell. The first one is a little bit worse than a mana leak, but everyone after that is a little bit better than a mana leak. The more you have, the better they get, and there are some serious spells matter cards going around here. I like the idea of like chaining these together. So like you get something on turn two or turn three, and then your next one doesn't lose value later on, like mana leak does sometimes, or like spell pierce does sometimes. Late yeah. in the game, they can be like useless. Um, I just like that you can just chain these together and you're okay firing this off on turn two or turn three um, because you have another one in your deck or you have another one in your hand that's going to be even better later. Correct. Uh, I'm going to mention this as a role player, just as an example of some things that are going on. It's not a card you need to pick early. Just understand what this does. Uh, Sultai Skullkeeper is one in a blue for a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard. This is putting spells into your graveyard uh, for your uh, make a bunch of zombies. This is putting creatures in there for cards that care about that, whether it's reanimator um, or there's some that have you exile a creature when you cast them. It's putting flashback cards in your graveyard that you can just cast out of there and it'll die into a creature on its own. So it's not hard for you to get your, your library into your graveyard. Our preview card was Treasure Cruise, which we talked about as well as Gurmag Angler. And a card like the Skullkeeper is perfect for that as well. So it's almost like this is a bit of an innocuous card, but it just works with all of the mechanics. Yeah, and the fact that it's common is really important here too because you're going to want a few of these. Um, you know, 2-1 is a fine body, obviously, in blue. You're not going to get much better at, at the one-drop spot or the two-drop spot. Um, but just being able to reliably get these cards in your graveyard early makes your mid to late game cards so much better. Like if you... If you have a, a Delve deck or a, um, a Reanimator deck that doesn't have something on turn two that can get these things into your graveyard, you're kind of not doing it right. Yep. Now, just as an example of a flashback card, I want to read you Think Twice, and then I'm going to pre- present David with a scenario. Think Twice is colorless and blue for an instant draw a card, and it has a flashback of two in a blue. How happy are you on turn two when you have a Rune Snag in hand and a Think Twice in hand? I am very happy. <laughs> Can you because, explain why? Because being able to draw cards at instant speed while also holding up counter spells is kind of what blue really likes to do in any format. Um, gives you the flexibility, puts a card in your graveyard, and it also sets it up for later in the in the game where now you have Think Twice in your graveyard and you can be like, I'm holding up three mana because I want to cast my Think Twice from the yard, plus my opponent knows about it, so like it's almost like there's no bluff or it's harder to read the bluff there if if you're my opponent because you see like well he's probably just going to draw think twice or play think twice yeah and like even just on turn two it's so good like they cast something you rune snag it they don't they think twice and then you get to repeat it the next turn you just play your land and go again yeah and you kind of almost don't feel bad about not playing a two drop if you think that you really want to counter something because you're think you're doing something with your mana mm-hmm. um yeah very happy to have think twice in my control deck 
Agreed. Uh, now I'm, I'm going to mention this because normally I'm I'm a bit of a stickler for discard being. We're going to move into black now. I'm a bit of a stickler for discard being bad and limited. I think appetite for brains may be a little better than we're used to, and I'll walk you through why. Uh, somebody in my chat actually pointed this out. It's black for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a card from it with converted mana cost four or greater and exile that card. So you're going to get something that matters. There's also enough ways to discard a card for value that I think it might just be okay to put this in your deck. And if you get to the late game and top deck it and you're like, man, I needed something here. Well, just discard it to your Olivia's Dragoon and give it flying or discard it to your Spell Shaper and go find some more lands. I think there's enough ways to just use random card in hand that it's kind of okay to play a situational effect like this. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of... You'd think, like, converted greater, uh, mana cost four or greater. You're like, well, like, that doesn't hit a lot of cards. With all the madness in the set, those are usually over-costed um, for casting them for, like, their regular casting cost and not their madness cost. So the fact that this exiles, you can get a lot of madness cards that people are going to be playing anyway, right? And then sometimes you might snag, like, an Ulamog's Crusher or something like that that you, you maybe you can't beat or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I'm um, Obviously, you, you side it out against people that are maybe madness heavy because they're going to be able to cast those things unless you snag it early. Um, or no, I guess not. Sorry, it exiles. So you can, they can't even do that anyway. Yup, it's gone. It's gone. So yeah, it doesn't even matter. Um, yeah. It gets something. They can't madness it. They can't reanimate it. I think it's just a good discard spell for this format, and I'm kind of excited to see it. Yeah. Um, we've talked about madness a lot. I don't think we've actually read through a madness card so I, I want to read through one quickly. It's This is a weird one. It's from Time Spiral, but it, it's worth mentioning because it's good. Grave Scrabbler is three and a black for a 2-2. That's it. Unless you can discard it, in which case you can cast it for one and a black, and when it enters the battlefield, return target creature card from a graveyard to its owner's hand. So this is a Grave Digger if I can discard it. It also fizzles your reanimation spell for your opponent, uh, if you can discard it while they have their creature targeted with their reanimation spell. So, like, there's some interesting things you can do with Grave Scrabbler. You just need to find a way to be able to discard it. So you can get some value off of it. You can mess up your opponent's plan, potentially. The worst thing you can do is cast it as a 4-mana 2-2. Like, that's that's pretty sad. It doesn't have this Enter the Battlefield ability unless you play, paid its Madness cost. Otherwise, it just doesn't do anything. It's just a 4-mana 2-2. But that's just an example of a Madness card. We'll see another one in red that I really want to highlight. Uh, But any of these are good if you have a way to discard them. Uh, Moving right along, there's another card that I I want to mention because I think this is a premium 2-drop in black, and you're going to want as many of them as you can get, and it's Olivia's Dragoon. It's 1 in a black for a 2-2. Discard a card. Olivia's Dragoon gains flying until end of turn. Like... The things Black is most interested in doing is Madness and Reanimation, and this works with both. Yeah, this is going to be a highly sought-after card if you're anything in Black. Um, it, it just does so much, and the additional upside of like actually getting Evasion is is really cool here. The The thing that, that I learned playing Madness back in the Shadows block was the cheaper your enabler is to discard a card, obviously the better that it is, but you like free is just amazing. Like free is almost infinitely better than like a one casting cost discard outlet. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and, and this one having a relevant body, something you can cast early, um, plus the ability to give it evasion. Like how many times did you pitch um, the the red lightning bolt or shock or whatever it was? Fiery temper? No, fiery. It, it's in the set. We'll get to it. Fiery temper. How many times uh-huh. did you pitch fiery temper to Olivia's dragoon? plenty and there exactly. were times i pitched a land two turns in a row to kill my opponent when they were at four like yeah. it, it's got all of that plus it's just a you know some a, a way to dome them in the face yeah exactly and it's it's so cheap that you don't care about trading it off either right mm-hmm. like it's like well i don't have anything to discard i'm just going to trade this for my opponent's two two and be okay with that it's it's important to remember with madness that if if you can discard it you can play it at any time So if Mm -hmm. your opponent is attacking you and you have a Madness creature in hand and an Olivia's Dragoon, you don't need to be able to, like, it doesn't matter that it's not your turn to cast the creature. You can sort of just flash it in. So if you've got a discard outlet, any Madness creature is basically a flash creature. So remember that when you're attacking in. This was in its original set. There was a 3-5 for 5 that you could Madness for 2 and a black. 
uh, spoiler alert, it's in this set too. So like the, the sequence of play quite often was uh, attack you for two, you don't block, you swing back, and I bat us in a 3-5 and eat your dude. Yeah, how many 3-5s for three did you play? <laughs> I play a lot as of them. As many of them as I could, right? <laughs> I played a lot of them. And we get to do that again here, uh, which is just fantastic as, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. Yeah, no, the, the maddening in your creatures for cheaper at instant speed and not having to pay a, a, like a discard cost was so good. Yeah. It's it's worth mentioning, too, that like um, that there is some reanimation here, so don't forget that it can do that for you as well. I want to go next to Last Gasp. Uh, I think this may be the best removal spell in the format, just for like cheap removal. It's one in a black for an instant target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. This is Strangling Spores, but two mana cheaper. Yeah, it'll be it'll be nice to have the ability to kill those heroic creatures before an aura gets put on them. Mm-hmm. And this this kind of does that. Um, it's, or in response to an aura being put on them. Well, that's what I meant, right? Where yeah. like you don't have, like especially with like totem armor or like conv- conviction, like we talked about, like the ability to get like extra value out of your auras and not necessarily get two for one. Um, being able to, to two for one your opponent at two mana is pretty good. Um, I didn't really pay attention to the removal spell in this format. Is like. Is it overall like average good? What what do you what do you think it is? It's kind of bad. It looks like this format. There's a five mana destroy anything spell in black. White has a four mana pacifism. There is nothing in blue to remove creatures. You can bounce, and I imagine that's going to be pretty good. Uh, but there, there's nothing to remove them. Red is all damage based and stuck around three, and green has prey upon. So the removal here is actually bad. It looks like a format where you want to be asking. Asking questions rather than trying to answer them. Mm-hmm. Good to so know. do your do your powerful thing. Um, there's not actually a common way to reanimate things in black, although you can find it at uncommon, uh, both in black and in white. Um, so we're, we're kind of going to skip over that, except for unburial rites, which Dave mentioned, which is four in a black return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. Flashback three in a white. You can pretty easily splash the white side of that in your black deck. Uh, if you're looking to do just straight black reanimator, but it looks like if you want to reanimate it common, you're probably doing that with white uh, rather than black. Although black does have some of the better enablers, so like white black is probably going to be the king of that. Uh, it's also worth mentioning there's a dredge mechanic. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we get to green because I think the green cards are better for it. Uh, and there is one other card in black that I think is worth mentioning, which is Bloodflow Connoisseur. Uh, it's two and a black for a one-one. Sacrifice a creature, put a plus one, plus one counter on Bloodflow Connoisseur. After going through the set, there there is a way to take your opponent's creatures, but it's at uncommon. So I don't think we actually have an Act of Treason-style sacrifice deck going here. There's a few cards that pay you off for sacrificing your own creatures and a few token makers, but I actually think Bloodflow Connoisseur may be a little bit more of a trap than we're used to, because I didn't quite see enough ways to get value off of it. Yeah, it it seems like it's here just to be a like a zero casting cost sacrifice outlet. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe a deck that is playing what are the cards here? I have I have them listed here. Um, there's the uh, hissing iguanar. Did I say that right? I think I may have mistyped that one. But that like every time you sacrifice a creature, I, I believe it deals one damage or to any target. There's an enchantment that when you sacrifice a creature, you can pay two mana and then deal two damage to any target. Like those just don't seem like a good enough of a payoff. But if that deck is there, you're going to want free, or when I say free, I mean zero casting cost sacrifice outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, so this might have to do that unless there's something better that you can get in another color. Yeah, which which there kind of just isn't. So I, mm-hmm. I really feel like black red sacrifice is kind of like a sub-theme in your Black Red Madness deck, because it's mm-hmm. just going to be better if it's Black Red Madness, and then you might include this. Because frankly, the Act of Treason, you know what, let's just let's just go ahead and go to that. Red's next anyway. Uh, and I, I really want to talk about this card because it's kind of busted. So the, the Madness card that I'm talking about is Malevolent Whispers, and it may be one of the best Madness cards in the set, particularly because people won't play this set a lot. Your average player will go in and do, I don't know, two or three drafts, either in paper or Magic Online, and be done with it. So people won't learn to play around this, <laughs> which makes it even better. It's three and a red for a sorcery. Gain control of target creature until end of turn. Untap that creature. It gets plus two, plus O, oh, and gains haste until end of turn. 
and its madness cost is the same mana cost, three and a red. So you're not getting a discount. That must mean this is not very good, right, Dave? Must mean that it's not very good. Why wouldn't I just play it for its regular cost instead of having to pay mana and discard it or tap a guy and discard it? Because you can do this during your opponent's attack step. So they attack you with a 5-5 and a 3-3. You take the 3-3, block the 5-5 with it, and they are so, so sad. And once people, like, imagine they just attack you with the 5-5 because they're going to play around it. Who cares? I'm still taking the 3-3 and blocking it. Like, it's really difficult to play around this card even if you know that they have it. The only way you can do it is just by not attacking your opponent. Uh, which, generally speaking, if somebody's going to not attack me, i got to be pretty happy about that too. This is a little bit of a bonkers madness card if you can do it during that attack step. Yeah, so... It- Picture a scenario where you and I are playing a game of magic and I turn Malevolent Whispers face up in my hand and I show you that I have it. You're getting two for one guaranteed or you're never dealing me any damage ever again unless you have flyers. Like, that's just how it's happening. Um, And like you said, you want your opponent to not attack you because that means that you're winning the game. But like, what what I would end up happening is if I knew my opponent had Malevolent Whispers or thought they had Malevolent Whispers, I just started attacking with like my my third and fourth best creatures only. Yeah. And it's like, if you're, if you're going to two for one me, you're going to get my, my middling creatures because if I attack with my worst creatures, they just get eaten. If I attack with my best creatures, they just get eaten. Or so your second best creature just gets eaten. Exactly. So it's like, if I'm going to two for one myself, I get to decide what I'm two for one myself with. Mm-hmm. And that's like the only way you play around that card. You are getting two for one. If, if your opponent has the ability to madness this. Yeah. It's, it's just a fantastic card. Uh, Speaking of fantastic cards, we've got Fiery Temper, uh, which Dave was referencing earlier. Ryan Sachs was in my chat some today while we were doing the the review, and he said he thinks this is the best red common. Uh, It's one red red for an instant, three damage to any target, madness of just a single red. So you can build your own lightning bolt. Yeah, and you know, in in the Shadows block, there was just so many ways to get value off of this card. Um, There's so many ways to discard it for free, and it's so cheap that even if you have to pay mana to discard it, it's it's so good. And occasionally your opponent would make you discard a card. I don't remember what that was, but there was a way where you could get them with, with Fiery Temper when they made you discard. I don't remember what it was. It wasn't Mind Rot, but there was something that they could discard. Mm-hmm. I want to say in like in like the, the you know, where you're drafting the two sets together, but um it's just so ridiculous. And they always have it. Here's the thing about Fiery Temper. You <laughs> you look at your opponent and they've got one mana and they've got like a mad profit that they can tap to to discard a card or whatever, and you're like I wonder if they have fiery temper. The answer is just always yes. Yeah. Yeah, they've it got just it. Because mm-hmm. we'd be happy just playing open fire at three mana, three damage. And this is just that plus better. And the, the thing to remember about madness cards is when you discard them to cast them for cheaper, you're usually getting an effect from it. Dave mentioned Mad Profit. This is another great uh, madness outlet. Three and a red for a 2-2 with haste. Tap it, discard a card, draw a card. So you could turn five, play this discard your fiery temper to kill something and draw a card after you've done it. And then if you untap it, just continue repeating this and casting your madness cards and drawing cards. Yep. Yeah. Be like any, any outlet that discards for free is just huge. Um, you know, we saw the, the three, five that you can madness for three instead of playing at sorcery speed for five. There's just so much you can do. Um, and getting the extra value off the discard is huge. So mad profit is kind of one of my favorites from, uh, from that set. I wanted to mention a little card called Soul's Fire. Tuna Red for an instant. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to any target. It's Tail Lash. It, it's Tail Lash. It's Fall of the Hammer. It's Rabid Bite. It instant speed in a set with heroic creatures. Mm-hmm. So I target my Wingsteed Rider to deal now three damage to you know one of your creatures killing it. And then attack you with the now 3-3 Wingsteed Rider. And again, all of that's at instant speed. So God forbid I do this in response to you dealing two damage to it. Be like, nope, counter your spell, kill your dude, hit you for three. Oh my God, so good. That's the best blowout. (laughs) Yeah. If we're going to dream, let's dream big. Let's dream big. So like the lesson is like main phase your instance against heroic creatures when your opponent's tapped out. (laughs) Yeah, if you have the opportunity to kill a heroic creature while your opponent is tapped out, just kill the dang thing. Mm-hmm. I think. I agree. Um, I, I want to mention Thermo Alchemist. Uh, we'd mentioned a spells deck needing multiple ways to win a game. Thermo Alchemist is one of those ways to win a game. 
It's one in a red for an O3 defender. You may tap it to deal one damage to each opponent. So they're taking a damage every turn. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, untap it. So if you cast any spells, they're taking two damage that turn, or three damage if you cast two, for example. Yeah, better in multiples for sure. These things can get out of control. If you turn two, turn three these things, you're not afraid to block with them. Uh, they block a lot of things at, at three toughness. Um, and usually you can get enough pings to finish the game off over the course of a game. So, Yeah, I even played these now. I don't think this is going to be as much of a problem here, but in their original block, which was uh, Eldritch Moon, I played some of these in blue-red spells decks that didn't quite get there, but I had three of these, and it was okay. Like, I had a few spells in the deck that, to trigger them, but I kind of didn't care. They were just sitting there dealing damage to my opponent and blocking grizzly bears all day, and it was great. Yeah, the fact that they can that they deal damage without having to cast the spell is is really important here. Like, you think, like, electrostatic field, and it only, like, it doesn't tap to ping and then untap. It just deals them damage when you cast spells. These are useful even if you don't get there. So I, I think, like, you wouldn't play it in, like, your red-white heroic deck, obviously, but, um, but, but they definitely... You know, it's a defender that deals three to four points of damage usually over the course of a game if you cast it on turn two. Yeah, which I think is just like what a two drop would do in most red decks. So like, again, outside of the heroic, it's just a pretty good two drop. And then one more red card I want to touch on is Reckless Worm. Uh, This is downshifted. This is three red red for a four four trample. That's already pretty good. And you can madness it for two and a red. So you can build your own three mana four four trample at instant speed. This eats a lot of things at flash speed too. Like four four is is no joke. Um, and then you're swinging back for four trample. Um, I, when I looked at green and I didn't see that um, what was it? Arrogant worm is yeah. not in this set. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you pointed me to reckless worm. I'm like, yeah, this is this is what I want to be doing. Yeah. And as we get to green, we'll see that you can do green red madness. So a lot of these these mechanics they really branch into three colors, and then you can combine them however they want. And I think they've done a great job at putting cards together that all kind of work well together, right? Like if I'm pitching a flashback card to one of these discard mechanics, I'm not as happy as if I'm pitching a madness card, obviously, but I'm still getting some value while I'm getting that trigger for the discard effect. Yep. All right, let's dig into green and kind of go through these. I said I was going to mention the totem armor enchantments, and I think Boar Umbra is one of the better ones. Uh, but there's some of these totem armor enchantments as you go through all the various colors. I'll just read through this one briefly. Uh, It's two and a green for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus three, plus three, and it has totem armor. This says, if enchanted creature would be destroyed, instead remove all damage from it and destroy this aura. Okay? So that's not it dies and it comes back. That's this aura dies functionally. Now, this doesn't work with exile, and it doesn't work with negative effects, right? So that negative three, negative three spell could get you on some of these totem armors if they're not giving enough power and toughness. But the, the key factor here is if you have a heroic creature, you keep the counters that you got or whatever effect you got from the heroic spells and any other auras that are on that creature will also remain on that creature. So I'm typically an advocate for not playing aura spells in limited. Now, still be careful when you cast this. If your opponent's got five mana up, and five cards in hand, you probably just don't want to jam Boar Umbra unless you can do anything else. But if they're tapped out, go ahead and play this on pretty much any creature that you have. Like, the only way they're really going to get you is if they have Faith's Fetters. And that, that's the only enchantment-based removal that we've seen in the format, and those are going to be at a premium even for white decks. Yep. Man, it's going to be so great going, like, turn two phalanx turn three this or like turn three wingsteed rider turn four this like how dumb is that that's really stupid you have a six six flyer that if they kill just turns into a three three flyer and you still get to cast other stuff on it It, it's just dumb it's just dumb uh we have devoted druid and uncommon for ramp which is one in a green for an o2 you tap to add green you can put a negative one negative one counter on it and untap it meaning that if you play this on two you can untap play a land in a five drop which is pretty cool. So it's sort of like Mega Ramp for one turn, and then it's just a Land of War Elf after that. It's pretty uh, good. Combos with Phalanx Leader. I'm just looking for everything that combos with Phalanx Leader at this point. <laughs> yeah, so what's your favorite card from the set so far, Dave? <laughs> it's gotta be Phalanx Leader. <laughs> you like Theros a little bit, huh? I love Theros. 
right, I'm going to mention Golgari Brown Scale uh, because it, it uses a me- not that the card is particularly good, but it uses a mechanic that you'll see reprinted on some uncommons and rares that is pretty good, uh, which is Dredge. This is one green green for a 2-3, which is a little underwhelming, but okay. When it's put into your hand from your graveyard, you gain two life, and it has Dredge 2. So Dredge means basically during your draw step, if this card is in your graveyard, instead of drawing a card, you can put this card from your graveyard into your hand and then mill yourself for the number after Dredge. So in this case, if I have a Golgari Brown skill in the graveyard, either I played it and traded it off or I just milled it or whatever, I can draw this instead and mill myself for two. So if I'm looking to do something with spider spawning, which we'll get to in a minute, or I'm looking to do some reanimation shenanigans, this is just a way to get your graveyard filled up. I think that I haven't I haven't played with Dredge at all. Um, I know obviously there's a lot of people that maybe played Modern that know how the Dredge works inside and out. Um, I'm concerned that I won't Dredge correctly. Does that make sense? Like I won't know when I'm supposed to be dredging a card back from my graveyard to fill or to to fill my graveyard with more versus just knocking the top of my deck and taking a card off like do you have a sense of of how this plays out in limited usually or or did you miss those sets when you were drafting i i've played some with them and i have played modern so like it it kind of depends on what your deck is trying to do if you have a reanimation spell in hand but not a good target you should be dredging if you have spider spawning in your hand or in your graveyard, you should be dredging, right? So, like, look at your hand, look at the board state, count the number of cards you have left in your library. In limited formats, it can be a little bit dangerous to just continually dredge, probably not with a grayscale, but with some of the larger ones that are dredging for three or four at a time, you can run yourself out of cards pretty quickly. Uh, so see if you've got which piece is it that you're missing. Are you missing a creature in the graveyard? Are you looking to get a specific flashback spell into your graveyard? Then you should probably be dredging. If you don't need it, then just take a random card. Perfect. That's exactly the kind of the rule of thumb, the heuristics that I needed. So uh, I'm going to mention a couple more green ones. Uh, Seder Wayfinder is kind of stupid to have in the same format as Spider Spawning. This is one in a green for a 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, reveal the top four cards of your library. You can put a land card into your hand, the rest into your graveyard. Uh, I played with this a lot in the M set that it was in. I think it was M15. And I think in hundreds of games, I maybe missed once or twice with it. But e- even then, you're not necessarily just looking for the land. You're looking to get stuff into your graveyard, which is pretty important for you in all of these green-based graveyard decks. Uh, you can even trade it off for some two ones or maybe get in on a double block or just chump with it and get even more stuff in the bin. Uh, now, I've mentioned this enough times that it's it's time to just get to the card. Spider spawning. Four and a green for a sorcery. Create a one, two green spider creature token with reach for each creature card in your graveyard. Flashback for six and a black. Man, why would I pay five mana for like two spider tokens? Get out of here. This card's awful. You wouldn't. You'd pay five mana for 12 spider tokens and then untap and do it again for 24 and swing for lethal. The card's busted. You do have to enable it. Like, this was in the original Innistrad, and this is what people liked most about the original Innistrad, is that for about three weeks, people saw this card and thought it was bad and didn't know what to do with it. And then they figured out they're supposed to be milling themselves in a deck full of creatures. And then if you mill it, who cares? Flash it back. If you draw it, cast it and then flash it back. And you just got these spider spawning decks that were basically unbeatable. Uh, So I can guarantee you every time I open spider spawning, that's what I'm doing. This is a green-blue card that you splash for the flashback of. So pay attention to some of your fixing. Like, there is technically a 2-1 bird in black that will mill you some, but it looks a lot easier to do if you can get Stitcher's Apprentices going. Because you can just really turbo that self-mill with that while accelerating yourself into the mana to cast the darn thing. It's just really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I know the power of spider spawning. You don't have to worry about that. You don't I have just, to keep me off the podcast. I, okay, good. You can stay. I just want to make sure our viewers get a chance to try it. Because it's like one of the most fun things you can do in Magic. Remember um, that fun is zero sum. So when you're having fun with spider spawning, your opponent is not having any fun at all. In fact, they might be having negative fun. I think they are. Like, especially the person that's never faced it before. And it's like, what are they doing? Why are they milling themselves so much? And then you cast it and they're like, well, that's not all that bad. It's just a bunch of, oh God, I can't attack with my flyers. 
oh, they're just going to double block. What do I do? And then you kill them. It's great. Uh, Dave already mentioned travel preparations. Uh, thank the gods this has moved from common to uncommon. Uh, this was common in its original printing. I think if you had this at common in a set with heroic creatures, it would be so good that I wouldn't want to play the format. So I, I think they learned something about the shift in rarity for Denrova Horror and kind of fixed it for us here. Well, when people go back and draft, was Avacyn restored? Uh, this was um, original or, Innistrad. Or, sorry, original Innistrad. Um, they used to draft specifically the Travel Preparations deck. Like, they would call it, like, what are you drafting? Oh, I drafted Travel Preparations. Uh-huh. That's how good it was. And and at Common, obviously, you get two easily with it. Um, you get so, four if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it makes sense, that the, the upshift. Um, it's too bad, because I look forward to, to drafting this in Heroic. Obviously, if it was at Common, everybody would be doing that. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it would be the best deck, and that's just what you would do, is draft this in every Wingsteed Rider you have and kill your opponent. Uh, and then last green card I want to kind of touch on is the Wild Mongrel. This is one in a green for a 2-2. Discard a card, it gets plus one, plus one, and becomes the color of your choice until end of turn. We've like You can have a green-white reanimator deck. You can have a green-red or green-blue madness deck. Even like a self-mill deck. Like Maybe you need to get a few more creatures in the graveyard for your spider spawning. Just go ahead and discard them. It's also got Threat of Activation. Like, I play this on turn two, you play a 2-2, I swing, what are you going to do? Block? I'll just, you know, discard a card and and play my worm. I'm probably going to do that anyway. So it's just forcing in extra damage. And then you've got reanimator shenanigans in in black as well. Like, this is probably the best two-drop, this is certainly the best two-drop you can get for green. And it would be even without all that other stuff. Uh, But that added in is just, it plays so well with so many of the other cards that you need to go ahead and grab it. Yep, uh, nothing to add there. It's it's fantastic. So I I think the colorless cards just kind of point you towards those archetypes that we've already looked at. There weren't in particular any that I wanted to highlight or rant about, Um, although Angel of Despair is worth noting as it looks like a really good reanimation target. At three white, white, black, black for a 5-5 flyer, enters the battlefield, destroy target permanent. That's what white, black is looking to do. So like, just take that one as an example, and these are kind of the guideposts for the archetypes. Like, kind of what you're after, be it spells in blue-red or reanimation in, in black-white. Were there any of these that caught your attention that you thought were worth mentioning specifically? No, I thought it was cute that Garna was here and uh, Garna plus Dredge. Or, yeah. or any of your, like, discarding cards to enable, like, your Wild Mongrel or whatever, right? Like, you can get all those creatures back if that's what something you wanted to do. Um, I just thought it was interesting because it's the creature cards in the graveyard that went there anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, you can, you can dredge, you can swing it in combat, make a bunch of trades, maybe get a madness trigger in there or something like that with, uh, or not a madness trigger, but like a, you know, wild mongrel discard it, give it plus one, plus one, and then play Garna and get all that stuff back, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's neat to see a new card go into a set with all these old cards and be relevant. Yep. It's, I do. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's as if they plan these things and they design <laughs> these cards to work in multiple formats. Whether or not they're powerful enough to make the Pro Tour doesn't matter. People at home can look through their box and be like, hey, I can play Garner with Dredge. That's kind of sweet. I'm going to try that. Yeah, and it, it's neat how they work together. Uh, there's a special colorless section which has some Eldrazi cards. Uh, many of these are mythic or rare, but the one I wanted to mention is a common one, uh, Ulamog's Crusher which is 8 mana for an 8-8 eight, eight with Annihilator 2. It attacks each combat if able. Annihilator 2 means that when it attacks, your opponent has to sacrifice two permanents. I think that this goes in a blue-green ramp deck, and I think that this may be a common reanimator target. Many of the larger Eldrazi have a clause that if they go to your graveyard from anywhere, you shuffle uh, either your entire graveyard or just shuffle this into your graveyard, and this one doesn't. So if you're looking to discard something on turn three and then animate it turn four in white, this is one of the better targets you can get at common. Now, there's obviously better rare ones that you can get, but if you get all the reanimation pieces and then just don't find something awesome to reanimate, the only person that the only other person that's kind of interested in these is a blue-green ramp deck, and they're kind of looking for better stuff too. So this is sort of like your fail case. If you don't get there in your ramp deck or your reanimator deck, you can just take a crusher and try to kill people with that. Yeah, um, I'm going to lose a lot to, like, turn for a reanimated crusher. Yep. 
Now, we've already seen better ones in multiple colors, but it's worth mentioning that Patchwork Gnomes is here. Uh, this is three for a 2-1. It's an artifact gnome. You can discard a card to regenerate it. So this is just a way, again, to discard something so that you can reanimate it or discard your Madness card. There's enablers everywhere for both of these strategies. Um, it, it doesn't look like there's really any mana rocks outside of Vessel of Endless Rest at Common, which is kind of neat. It's three mana for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, put target card from a graveyard on the bottom of its owner's library, and you can tap it to add one mana of any color to your pool. So it's mana ramp and a little bit of disruption for a graveyard strategy. Maybe you nab one of your opponent's flashback cards or a reanimation target. Note that it's not a May, uh, so you don't want to cast Buried Alive, you know, get your or, or Entomb, for example, get your best card and then cast this and have to shuffle it back in because you have to do it. But if you're looking to ramp with artifacts, this is a way that you can do that at common. That's like this and like Terramorphic Expanse are pretty much the only two like fixing cards that go in every color. Correct. We do have Kadama's Reaching Green, but other than that, that's kind of it. Yeah, I mean, there's Prismatic Lens, I guess, at Uncommon, um, but the, you know, this one ramps you, right? This is closer to a Darksteel Ingot, mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is fine, but like, I find it interesting that there's no Uncommon or Common dual lands. That um, actually makes me really happy, because one of the things that I didn't like about the Denrova Horror set is you, you just every deck was four-color mess. So it really came down to who got the most Denrova Horrors, where I feel like this one is the perfect balance of being enough on-rails that, like, there's a lane for me to draft, a color combination for me to draft, but I can decide what direction I want to take it in, right? I, I could even be black-white heroic, for example. Mark of the Vampires in the set, like, that'd love to get cast on a Wingsteed Rider. Or I could be white-black reanimator. So I could, there's, like, two or three decks for each color to go into. They even all play nicely together. And there's not so much fixing that I'm incentivized to just take the best card out of every pack and then play all of them. So it's not a bad thing not to have great fixing. I'll mention Terramorphic Expanse and then kind of hit my last point here because Dave mentioned it. This is functionally Evolving Wilds. It's a land. You sacrifice it, search your library for basic, put it in the battlefield tap, shuffle your library. It does put a card in your graveyard for delve and things like that that matter. Uh, some of them will. But when these are your only fixers, you're not usually looking to play a three-color deck unless you're playing green. You're just looking to splash a card. Maybe it's the off-color flashback on Spider Spawning or Unburial Rites. Uh, and maybe it's just to splash, you know, a really good removal spell, that you, to splash your Faith Spetters in your green-blue deck, for example. So you can splash, but that's about all you're doing. You're not doing really nutty decks unless you happen to get multiple copies of Kadama's Reach in green, or you're really going nuts with that Spell Shaper in blue. Yeah. It'd be interesting to draft then because once you find your lane, once everybody at the table kind of finds their lane, you know, people won't be taking travel prep because they're four colors and green is included in their four colors. So like cards like that, you know, should go around to the players that are more interested in them that fit in their deck a little bit better. Yeah, a, a format like that with a little bit worse fixing rewards people who are good at reading and signaling signals even more. So that, that has me pretty excited and hopeful for what we'll be able to do here. There's obviously a lot more cards in this set than the ones that we've mentioned, but I, I think I've pulled out some key ones to kind of give you an idea of what you should be looking for and what you should be doing as you go through this. So any of the cards that say Heroic are going to function similar to the Wingsteed Rider, and any of the Madness cards are going to function similarly to the Trampling Worm. Uh, but just, like, keep this as a baseline. It wouldn't hurt you if you're going to go draft this to maybe go either watch that review or just read through the spoiler quickly. And like I said, if you've played for a long time, you're going to recognize a lot of these cards, which is kind of cool. Like, going through this, there was a lot of them that I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this dude. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I look forward to it. And the fact that you can do sealed, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how good the sealed is, given that, like, it feels like the lack of fixing will hurt sealed a little bit. You know, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think the formats that have bad fixing make for more interesting sealed deck building decisions. You feel like you get punished a little more when your rares get spread out, but you have to make a real decision of, am I going to hurt my mana to splash for this fireball, or am I going to build the consistent green-black deck? And, like, that's a decision-making thing where you're making a decision that is directly impacting your limited gameplay, and I like that. And these formats where, like, there's there's a dual land in every pack, it's like, did I get the right ones that lined up or not? 
And that's this list one for me. You're a masochist when it comes to sealed. You like punishing yourself with sealed pools. I really do. I'm a sealed flagellant. <laughs> All right. So I take it you'll be doing this on stream starting on December 6th? Yeah, as soon as I can, we're going to be drafting these. And I'll probably just draft it till I run out of pay points or it goes away. Nice. That'll be fun. I'm sure I'll give it a try or two. So I look forward to it. I think that's it. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about in this uh, for this format? No, that's that's what I wanted to do just to get people ready for like a quick sit down for an hour, listen to this, and be like, okay, I can go draft one of these on Phantom or Magic Online and see if I like it. Great. Yeah, I look forward to it too. So, well, we're going to wrap it up there then. Uh, thanks again to Face to Face Games for the support and the host. Where can they catch you streaming this week? You can find me streaming this week, uh, both some M19 on Arena and some Modern Masters on Magic Online at twitch.tv slash simulan. And I'm at Twitch at Twitter. That is DCivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can also follow us, Men for Moto, on Twitter. We're at Men for Moto. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast outside of just listening to it, of course, we appreciate the listeners. Uh, you can check out our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash Men for Moto. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.